My name is Alvin. I'm, I'm lead pastor at the church, and I'm so glad that you all are here. Welcome, second welcome or third welcome to all of our first timers. But I uh, love seeing everybody, uh, the returning family as well as new people. It's just always good to come together. Uh, I'm excited about today. I really like what we're sharing. Uh, before we get into it, we like to stir up our faith and, and engage our minds, get our hearts ready to get into the word of God. We're not just listening to some words. We're listening to God's words directly from, from his spirit and from his word. So let's say these words after me. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I live life, the more I'll, believe, I'll receive The more I give life, the more I receive. The more I live life, the more I believe. In the name, stop messing me up. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lord, you heard that prayer. You know that prayer. Um, our series is called Zeal for the House. This is our second part of a five-part series called Zeal for the House. And zeal basically means passion, it means enthusiasm, uh, vigor, fire, and by the house, I mean specifically the house of God. Uh, the assembly that facilitates God's presence, it facilitates his power, it facilitates his vision, and all the blessings um, that come, it, it happens via the house of God. And if you look at the history of the house of God, there's always, uh, well, not always, but for, for, for as long as just about we had the faith, um, there's been a, a dwelling place for the presence of God. And, you know, at the very beginning, there was a small thing called the Ark of the Covenant, and that's what facilitated God's presence. And then there, was, uh, there were tents that facilitated God's presence. There was this one tent in the camp, and in that camp, was, that was considered the house of God, that tent. That's where, that's where the spiritual sacrifices were offered. And then there was a temple, and then we graduate to where we have it now as the church, the body of Christ. It's, we are the people. We are the assembly that facilitates God's presence. And if you look in history from the Ark of the Covenant even to now, God has used believers to be the people who build and keep and maintain uh, the dwelling place for God. So it's very important that the believers are uh, full of zeal so they can cooperate in, in what is needed to, to build God's dwelling place. And I say that zeal is needed because there's a lot of resistance to building the house of God, both internally and externally. We have our own issues when it comes to building the house of God, and then there's external issues that work against our efforts. So without zeal, without this, this tank of turbo fire, uh, the resistance will prove to be too strong for us to actually do the work of God, which is why zeal is actually required. It's not even suggested. Romans 12, 11 says, never should we lack in zeal regarding serving the Lord. We should always keep a fervor. There should always be a fire, um, not just because it's fun, not because we just want to be loud, but we're going to read that there's a thing called resistance. And like I said, it's internal and external. And if we don't have fire, the resistance will prove too strong for the effort that we are called to have um, in front of us. So we are going to talk about uh, camp, a group of believers in a period of time, um, and it's found in the book of Haggai. But before I read it, um, I want to give a little bit of backstory. Israel, they were overthrown by the empire of Babylon. And Jerusalem was totally destroyed. This beautiful city was just thrown into ruins. Things were burnt up. The temple burnt down. And they were all forced to evacuate uh, Jerusalem and move into the city of Babylon, all of Israel. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were, were forced into captivity to live in Babylon. And God moved in the king of, of Babylon to, after 70 years, 70 years, that's an entire generation, um, to be able to be freed from Babylon and to move back to their homeland of Jerusalem, the promised land, the land that God originally promised for them to live. They were free to go back. 
but not everybody decided to go back because as evil and as godless and uh, debaucherous as Babylon was, it was kind of nice. Economically, they were very strong, culturally cutting edge, best cuisine, best architecture. It was an it was it was evil place, but it was a nice place, and and they had grown accustomed to it. They had seventy years living in there, and now everybody people had kind of made a home. So not everybody chose to go back to Jerusalem, which, by the way, in comparison to Babylon, which is extremely developed, Jerusalem was ghost town. It was desolate. There was nothing fancy over there. There was barely even anything to recognize that looked like a city. So for the people, I think it was about 50,000 that decided to go back. It was a very noble decision to leave Babylon, which is basically this incredibly developed, front-running city, to go back to this very desolate place called Jerusalem where they had really nothing, had to build from scratch. So about 50,000 decided to go back. And one of the first things they decided to do was to rebuild God's house, the temple. And like most of us, they started off real excited. We tend to start very excited. They were very excited to build, rebuild the temple. This is finally, this is our legacy. This is our homeland. This is our place. And for about two years, the, the zeal maintained. And they were able to get a lot of stuff started. They were able to build a foundation. I think they got the altar finished. And then after about two years, the enthusiasm began to dwindle. And the zeal began to decline because they started to get a little discouraged, maybe a little bit tired, maybe a little bit, it started getting a little bit monotonous. The, the newness and the, the excitement of this cutting-edge city that we're building from scratch and all the idealism probably started to melt away. And it started to get a little bit real. It started to get a little bit real. And the Bible says that after two years of working on God's house, all work stopped. And the Bible says for 14 years, there was no work done on the house of God. 14 years, the progress and the building of God's house flatlined. And that's where Haggai starts, chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, the prophet of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. So this is God speaking to the prophet Haggai. He says, saying, this people, talking about the 50,000, the God's people, the believers in Jerusalem, um, says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So God is telling Haggai that the people, and it's really funny, usually he says my people. If he says this people, that's not a good sign. <laughs> He's, these folks, usually it's my children, my people. This time it's this people. We, the believers were this people in this stage. But my point is, he says, after 14 years, they're still saying it's not time yet. It's, time, it's not time to finish God's house. Okay, let's talk about the right time. Uh, depending on the story, we see several times where God's people are in the same time length or aligned with the same time frame and time concept of God, and then there's times where we're not. So there's sometimes where God is saying now, and the believers are saying, no, not right now. There's sometimes where God is saying, not right now, and the believers are saying, no, right now. There's sometimes where God is saying now, and the people are saying now. There's sometimes where God is saying, not yet, and the people are saying, not yet. It's not automatic that the believers are in agreement with what the right time is. So despite what God was saying, they said, it's not time. And if you look at the conditions of their life and of Jerusalem, it, there's, some, there's some reasonable reasons why someone would say it's not time yet to, to engage in building God's house. Some of the reasons were the land was still desolate after 70 years of neglect. Again, ghost town, 
not a cool place. It wasn't like Nashville where there's cranes everywhere and we have this sense of, man, big things are happening in our city. There was no buzz in this city right now. It was desolate. So not the most inspiring place to build. The work was hard, y'all. It was hard. They didn't have a lot of money or manpower. They suffered crop failures and drought. Hostile enemies surrounding the area were resisting their work. And then they also remembered easier times in Babylon, very similar to the easier times in Egypt, where even though they were in captivity, at least they had a nice place to sit and lay their head and eat. And sometimes we can, like Israel, envy easier times, even if we were in bondage. So they were dealing with this. And in that list, there's economic aspects to that list, economic issues. There's social issues that you see on that list. The enemies resisting their cause. There are people that were going against what they were about. So there's that social tension. There was uh, emotional issues, emotional tension, emotional complications. A lot of, by the way, I remember I told you guys that not everybody left Babylon. So most of them still had cousins and best friends and mentors and aunts and brothers that are still back in Babylon, so they're still going through the loss of missing my family, missing my friends, because not everybody chose to go back to Jerusalem. So all of these issues could be some of the reasons why someone would say, not yet. And that could be valid. But this is God's response to them saying that right now. Then the word of the Lord, sorry, Hebrews, I mean, I'm sorry, Haggai, my bad. Haggai 1, 3 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. So God spoke through Haggai to tell the people, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Let me explain this. This is why we got to just, we just can't help but love God because he keeps it real. God goes into what we call our business, and we give reasons, and he has a way of highlighting an aspect of our life and puts it in context that makes us question what we're saying. So all the reasons, you know, the, the, it's a drought, and I'm emotionally hurt because I miss my family back home, and all of these things, I'm like, okay, cool. But God's the type of God that goes... But yet it's the right time for you to build your nice house? So you're telling me that you can live in that nice paneled house that you built yourself, and there's enough time and motivation and zeal for that. Meanwhile, my house is looking like a piece of junk over here. Really? That's the kind of God that we have. He gets into our business. He brings up what we do have passion for. When we say we're depleted, when we say we're done and we're spent, he goes, oh, why weren't you not done for that new business you just started? Why weren't you not done for that vacation that you just went on? And we start going, oh, God, why you got to, <laughs> why, why do you have to go there? So God went there. You can always count God to go there because he's about the root. He's about what's real. He's about the heart of the matter. He goes into, it's interesting that these excuses make it a bad time for my house to be built, yet these excuses have not stopped you from your paneled houses that you built for yourselves. The studies show that during the 14-year process of God's house being flatlined, the Israelites were building beautiful, well-built homes for themselves. Some of them had more than one home all during this time of where the house of God was receiving no attention. There were great developments and in personal, their individual homes were being built. That's what the paneled houses represent. And by the way, God is not condemning a paneled house. God is not condemning the, the priorities that we have. I mean, he's not condemning the other things that we're concerned about. He is addressing something called priorities. That's what this is about. This is not an anti-house message. This is not an anti-nice house message. This is about priorities. The issue wasn't that they had nice paneled houses. The issue was that their homes were great while God's house wasn't. That's what the issue is. And keep in mind, this is not in sync with their legacy. 
They come from good stock. Israel comes from the line of King Solomon who finished God's temple before he even started his personal house. So this wasn't even in sync with their legacy. This is, they know better. They come from a line where the house of God, King Solomon built the house of God, and once the house of God was finished, he said, okay, now, now I'll build my place. But they had it opposite. Over time, it switched where their individual personal homes came first at the expense even of God's house. And just so you guys know, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, all of these stories in the word, they're not just history lessons. They're, served, they're there to serve as examples for us. So just so you know, whenever you're reading the Bible, Old Testament or New, just know that according to Paul, that is written to be an example to you. So make sure you listen to this message with how is this an example for me and what can I learn from this? Let's keep reading. Haggai chapter 1, uh, 5 through 6. God says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Just stop for a minute and think about your ways. And I, I, I feel faith from that because I, have, I feel like we're, talk, we're hearing from a God that goes, if y'all just stopped and thought about it, most of y'all would realize that y'all don't want to do what you're doing. And I, I appreciate that. I think that God has, again, he's faithful towards us. I think he believes the best of us. And I think he thinks, man, by the way, keep in mind, these were, these were the most radically uh, committed of Israel. This was the 50,000 of the hundreds of thousands that decided to leave their comfort. So we're not talking about just some heathens. These are people, but, but it shows that you don't have to be strung out on drugs to still mess up the priorities and have God's house on the back burner of your life. You don't have to be a Satanist for God's house to be at the back burner of your life. You can be of the 50,000 radicals that come out to go, man, we are going to be committed to God and still have a beautiful house and let 14 years go by before any work is being done to the house of God. I want to give you guys perspective. We're not just talking about some low lives here. We're talking about believers. He said, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, and do not, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. All right. I got really encouraged when I read this because I didn't really grow up reading a lot of Haggai, just confession. And I wasn't that familiar with that, that that analogy was in Scripture. And the reason why I was excited, and this probably happened to a lot of you guys, where I had a revelation with that analogy just from, I believe, from the Holy Spirit before I even knew that it was in the Bible. Have you ever had times where the Lord will say something to you and then you read and go, oh, my God, it's in the Bible. Like, that's so nice when that happens. Um, it's, and so my point is, when I talk to my friends and, uh, on the topic of tithes and offerings, I actually use this analogy. And I, I thought I made it up, but apparently it's been in the Bible. Uh, and if you look in Malachi chapter 3, you will see, let's read it real fast. I wasn't planning on reading it, but let's read it. Um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have you robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Be, uh, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough for you to receive. And verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your grind, the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, I'm going to show you why this is re uh, relevant. Whenever I'm explaining tithing to my friends or like life group members or people that I get to talk one-on-one -on -one with, uh, this my, my go-to analogy is... Uh, the Bible says that when we give 
tithes, by the way, tithes is 10% of all your earnings. Whatever income comes in, 10% is meant to go to the house of God, and specifically the house of God. And I'll go as far to say the house of God that you um, belong to. And when I say belong to, that's where you're regularly receiving from. That's the house that's serving you and, and, and that you have committed to. Um, the reason why I make it specific towards the house of God is because while it's great to give to charities and your nephew's college fund and different organizations, um, I don't want you guys to make the mistake of thinking that God counts that as your tithe um, because he doesn't. Um, it's, it's good to give to those things, but those things are not the tithe. The tithe goes specifically to the house of of God, and the reason why is so there can be enough food and resources in the house of God. I don't know if you guys are paying attention to the news, but guys, we are moving into a time where the church is going to start to be able to expect less and less for any support from outside of us. And this is foreign to us because we have a lot of comforts and luxuries here, and the, the significance and the role of the house of God has really diminished in our generation and our culture because of our lives and because of government and because of so many things. But if you look at the very origin of church, the very beginning of the early church, they weren't getting any breaks. There was no tax breaks. There was, they, they depended on each other so much to where they sold all they had so that they, everyone could have enough, right? So this is not a foreign concept. This is actually the origin of the church. So if you think about it, tithing and offering is really a, a, a low-ball call or a request because we have a standard from the early church where they gave, they sold everything so that all of us could have enough. So my point is this concept of God's house being a storage house, a storehouse for resources, not just spiritually, but even materially, come via the tithes and offerings of those who belong to the house, the believers. The words, so that's just basically, you know, an entry kind of description of tithes and offerings. God says that when we do this, he rebukes the devourer. And the devourer is someone that we all need to know exists. The devourer is a, a, is a spirit, and his assignment is to destroy the retention of everything you work for. He has one assignment. The devourer is there to, to destroy your ability to retain all that you are working to gain. So the analogy that I gave, the reason why I got excited when I saw a bag of holes, I call it, mine was bucket. I said, imagine if you have a bucket, and you're filling it with water, and there's this spirit called the devourer that's his job is to go to the bottom of your bucket and poke holes in your bucket to where even though you've got a ton of water coming into your bucket, you can never get full because there's holes at the bottom of the bucket. That's the, that's, that's the devourer. The devourer pokes holes in your bucket. So the devourer doesn't prevent you from making money. He prevents you from keeping it. He prevents you from retaining it. He, doesn't stop, he can't stop the water from flowing in your life, but he stops the water from staying in your bucket. So he pokes the holes in the bucket to where you're like, dang, I've been here for two hours filling up this bucket of water. I'm still not full yet. What's going on? There are holes in our buckets, and the devourer is the person who's assigned to do that. So the Bible says, God says that when you tithe and when you give, he rebukes that spirit that keeps on poking holes in your bucket. And on top of that, he plugs up the holes in your bucket to where now the water is actually filling up like it was supposed to. And then on top of that, it overflows to where it's like, oh, my God. Meanwhile, same income, same amount of water, but just no holes in the bucket. So that's, I bring this up because... There's a cynical part that all of us have to rebuke constantly. A cynical part of us that wants to paint God telling us to prioritize his house as a self-serving. Well, it's easy for God to say for us to prioritize our house over his because, I mean, it's his house, but I got my house too. And, you know, man, God, man, he, he, does, he wants us to build his house and, and not ours. No, he, he didn't say that. He just said... You got to build my house, especially if your house is looking as nice as it is. So what happens is he tells, God is telling everyone to, oh yeah, to prioritize his house. 
not because it's self-serving, but if you look in Scripture, everything that God tells you, I hesitate to say everything, but I mean it. If you keep on reading any Scripture where God is telling you to do something for him, just when you, even if it sounds so, so self-serving of God to ask you to do that, if you keep reading a couple of verses, you're going to find some way that it benefits your life. First of all, God is God. So let's say God was self-serving. He has the prerogative to be as self-serving as he wants because he's right in everything he does. However, his character is not self-serving. His character is benevolent. His character is a father. So even with, even with something as self-serving as praise me, he tells you to praise him because he knows it'll make you feel better. Like even something as selfish sounding as praise me with all you have. And then you keep on reading and seeing that that removes the spirit of heaviness. There is nothing that God asks you to do for him that does not also directly bless you as well. So, yes, the cynical part might say, well, God is just, he just wants me to forsake. Yeah, well, yeah, he does, actually. He wants you to forsake everything for him. But, but even for me as the pastor, like, well, it's easy for Alvin to say to give because he works here and he has given his life to God. I haven't given my whole life to the church. I, I got a life. You, this, this is you. Like, it, 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 right, it, 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 can, it can sound so serving for me, but you guys understand. You guys got to understand, as a pastor, I've received the same father heart where I'm telling you to give because I don't want holes in your bucket. I promise you, when I say tithe, when I say give, it is not for my, first of all, this thing is built up to where regardless of what y'all give, my life is blessed because I give. I don't live a life that's subjected to y'all's generosity. I, give, I live a life that's subjected to my generosity. So regardless of what you guys give, my life is blessed because I give. So when I tell you guys to give, it's so that there's no holes in your, I don't want there to be holes in your bag. I don't want there to be holes in your bucket. I see you work. I see you put in time. And it breaks my heart as a pastor to see you not being able to retain as much as you could, especially when the Lord has given us the way out. He says, I will rebuke that sucker. I will rebuke that guy that keeps on poking holes in your bag. So I get excited because we're not even talking about tithes and offering. I'm in Haggai, and when I see you earn wages to put into a bag with holes, I was like, that's what I was saying. And I get happy because so, God is saying the same thing. So we're talking about tithes and offering. God is saying you guys are deceived because you're building these beautiful homes and you're prioritizing your individual lives and your individual agenda. And when he says turn your attention back to the house of God, it's not because he wants your life to be worse, but he's going after all that. Y'all investing in y'all's house and y'all drinking water and still thirsty. Y'all eating food and still starving. Y'all got clothes and still cold. It's the same concept. There's a devourer in your life. When the house of God is not prioritized, it's not that you're not blessed, but you can't even enjoy the blessings because there's holes in the bag. The devourer is the person, you can have 10 bottle waters in your house. The, the devourer is the one that when you sleep at night, he goes and puts salt in all of your water bottles. So you'll drink it and be like, why am I more thirsty? The devourer's going, <laughs> he's putting salt in your water, and the thing that was supposed to quench your thirst is making you just want more water. The devourer is the one that goes into your pantry and puts laxatives in your food. So you're eating food, and then it just disappears. It's gone, and you're like hungry in two hours or 30 minutes because nothing's retaining. I know that's gross, but that's literally what happens. That's what he says. You're eating food, and you're still hungry. You're not able to retain it. The devourer is the one that takes all your blankets and clothes, and he gets rid of the lining of it, and he cuts holes in it so even though you have a blanket on, there's cold air still getting through. That's the picture that God is painting for people who are prioritizing their own endeavors more than the house of God. He goes, you think you're hurting me, <laughs> but you're hurting yourself. You've got holes in your bag, and I want to plug those holes up, but something's got to change. 
Something's got to change. He says, consider your ways. Verse uh, Haggai 1 through 7. Well, verse 7, sorry, 1 verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Basically, he said, time is now. Well, God, I just, you know, I just, I just got married. I got to get some things settled. Time is now. But, I, you know, I just, I just found out I got promoted from my job. I, I, I got to make sure I feel like I know where the time is now. Go to the mountain. And the reason why he can say the time is now, because unless he says the time is now, 14 more years will go by. And it will never be time to serve the Lord. If, if God let us decide when it's time, that's how you let 14 years happen and not an ounce of progress has been made on the house of God and you're still saying not yet. There will always be something in our lives that will tell us not yet. Let us just get into this new house and, uh, you know, we're in the house. Okay, now I'm about to convert this house to, Air, this room to an Airbnb. Let me just, as soon as... Airbnb, well, I got all these tenants, and they're, they're coming in at 2 o'clock, and I just, I just got engaged, and it's just, okay, I just got married, just, I just had the vape, I just got divorced, like, whatever, like, there's always going to be something that will tell you it's not time to serve the Lord, which is why there has to be zeal, because the resistance that I told you, the resistance that I told you about, remember I said it's both internal and external? They had internal issues. They were still emotionally a little raw from not being in Babylon anymore. They still missed their people. But they also had external issues. There were other forces that were trying to stop the work. There's a lot of resistance, guys. Remember I told you guys, I don't have to fast and pray to follow my flesh. I don't have to go to conferences and study my word to follow my own instincts. The work comes in when I have to follow the Spirit. There's a lot more resistance to me following the Spirit of God than there is following my own will. And I just want us to, I just want a church that's just a little bit more real with themselves and, and just faces that reality. Let's stop pretending like we just flow with God without any work. Let's stop pretending like we just ease into the will of God into obedience without any problems. Because that belief makes us think that it's okay not to have zeal. Because I'm one of those people, I just flow with God. I just flow with him. I don't need to push. I don't need to press. I just flow. You will get a rude awakening. I used to be one of those. I would flow. I would flow with God. I just woke up speaking in tongues. I just, I, literally, I did. I used to wake. It was just like, it was just easy. It was, but that was about, about six months. About six months of that effortless fire. And then month seven came in. Whoa, wait a minute. And the first thought is I got scared. I'm like, oh, man, maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm not saved anymore. Maybe. No, it's called you got to press. And when, when you don't understand that, you get confused. I mean, I was meeting with pastors. I was going, am I okay? I was with A.R. Bernard in Brooklyn. He just started laughing. He said, man, no, you're actually moving forward. I thought I was moving backwards. But when you, when you fall into that, that, I just, you know, me and God, we just got this. I know y'all got to press and fast. I know y'all need zeal. But, man, we just flow, man. We got this thing. We just got this thing, me and him. <laughs> Guys, that thing will make 14 years go by, and you have yet to pick up a finger for the Lord. We must. That's why Romans 12 and 11 says, never lack in zeal. Keep the spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Why? Because there's too much resistance both in you and in this world for you to afford to expect to make any progress towards the house of God in your own strength. We need zeal, specifically for the house of God.
Why? Like Malachi says, because that's the storehouse for not only us, but for the world. I don't know if you guys remember, if you guys were here, the beginning of the year, the theme of the year is I'm a life giver. And my text that I referred, and I, this felt so, that's why you got to just trust God. Because it felt so random. I'm like, why am I talking about Egypt? Like, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're in the middle of social stuff. You really want the year's theme to be about when the storehouse was full? I mean, it felt very disconnected. But it, it wouldn't leave me. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to step on faith. Guys, in case you are new, Joseph led this amazing operation where there were seven years of great produce and great plenty and abundance, and they stored up a large percentage of all that came in. And the reason why they did that was because at the end of the seven years or the six months that I talked about of that fire, there's a famine where there's nothing going to be produced, and you can only live off of what's in the storehouse. And the, what my, the word that I believe that God was giving me for you guys is that we have to prepare to be the storehouse because there is a famine that's not only happening, but it's, but it's going to get worse. And the significance for the storehouse, a.k.a. the house of God, we're going to see the significance of God's house be higher than any of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Right now, the church is like, it's, that's nice, y'all. It's only going to become more and more of a necessity. When I say that it's, a, it's going to be, the it already is the storehouse. But the thing about it is it's like all other things, like if there's other things competing with it, it's hard to tell. So almost like uh, when the dust settles and all of the resources and things that we're used to are no longer there. And I, I don't, I'm, not praying, I'm not preaching doom, but I'm just telling you what, what the word says. Like it's going to get worse. And if we're expecting the world to do us any favors, we are sadly deceived. And the sooner we can unify and realize that God has designed the church to be the storehouse, we will start operating in faith and not, okay, guys, now don't be like the ten virgins that wait until the famine to go, ooh, let me start giving. There's going to come a time where we're only going to be able to live off what's in the storehouse. And we must learn from Joseph's plan in, in Genesis. And while we have plenty, while you still have your job, which many people are losing, by the way, while you still have your income, while you still have your plenty, tithe, give. Make sure there's no, more than enough resources in the house so that we can not only be a storehouse for us, but for the many that are going to be knocking on the door, crying out, sanctuary, sanctuary. There's a famine on here and y'all's leaves are still green, sanctuary. All the trees are dried up and y'all are still producing fat cherries, Sanctuary. Do you guys know that that's the prophecy? There's going to be a huge drought, but the Bible says that those who are planted, there will still be bright green leaves even though everybody else is without. And God's will is that there is enough to where he, the plan is not that we go, nah, 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 uh, we have enough and you don't. We're not talking that. The, the plan is for there to be more than enough so not only is there enough for us, but for the, those who, who need it, we have enough for them too. This is, this is why I told you guys we have to have an understanding of the house of God. It's more than just a place where we come and get encouraged and go eat lunch. It's more than, it, we are a spiritual house that is meant to facilitate God's presence and his provision. And his provision is both natural and supernatural. So my point is, God is not just the provider of, of healing and prophecy. He also provides lunch. He provides water and food and homes. And just maybe, God is asking for his believers to start to make sure that the house is full so that we can operate 
at the level that we've been called to operate. So, Haggai, 1 through 7, he says, Consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. So, going, build, going and build for these guys meant going up to a mountain and getting wood and actually laying down wood and building a house. Um, I'm not asking you guys to do that. I don't think the Lord is asking for us to build specifically in that way. I want to talk about three practical ways that you can leave here today and start serving the Lord now. Now, like 308. Three sections personally, in your family, and then corporately. Um, personally, the way that the best way for you to build a house personally is to present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to him. You've got to devote your life and make your life a life of worship. Personally, this is, this is your individual responsibility. This is something only you can do for yourself. Personally, devotion. Every day. When I say devotion, I mean you need to spend time in Scripture. Every day. And you need to pray to God every day. Every day. I can't tell you how confidently I can tell you that there is not a scenario that anybody in this room can tell me that will make me back down that every day it needs to happen. There's not a single scenario that can make me go, oh, yeah, you're right, not every day. Every day. Scripture well, you know, my phone is broken. Okay, bring your real Bible. Well, I don't have a real Bible. Okay, I'll, I'll, here's 10 bucks. Go get one. Like, well, I, it hurts my eyes. Okay, we'll get, like, I don't know. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. Audio. So there's, literally, there's nothing you can tell me. Every single day, guys, every single day. And this is not, um, you have to realize this is, this is out of necessity. You have, to, you have to make a personal choice that this is a necessity. Now, if you still reject that it's necessary, then it's not going to work. Because you're going to be like, well, I'm just doing this because Alvin told me, Nashville Life told me to do this. This is not true. This is not sincere. You've got to make a decision that is necessary. And there's a lot of scripture that can help support that it's necessary. I promise you. Please read it. And I don't know why, like, I know there's people that want to read it, but I just know there's a lot of people that like to buck and... We just, just don't bunk, don't buck against this. You, you, you need, you got to spend every day. Just stop kicking against the goat. Stop, stop, stop. Every day. Word, prayer. Two, in your family. Husbands, fathers. You got to pray with your family. You got to pray for your family. You got to pray with your wife. You got to pray for your wife. You got to pray for your kids. Practice being a source of, of scripture giving to your family. Practice it. I'm not saying you're, you have, don't get into, well, not everybody has the gift of teaching. I'm not, I'm not telling you to turn to T.D. Jakes for your family. I'm saying, hey, we're going to read this scripture today. Like, please, don't think that I'm asking you to be this spiritual giant. First of all, I believe you are because of who's in you, but just don't discount yourself. Even if it's because, hey, guys, we're going to gather around and just read, this little, read a little bit. Hey, what do you think about that, little Johnny? What do you think about you? Practice it. You are the sole discipler of your house. Like, you're the primary discipler, I should say. I can't do your job. Husbands and dads, pray for and with. Please make it a point to pray for your kids before they go to school. Now, if you work before, let's say you work before while they're still asleep, then go in the room while they're still asleep and pray for them. They don't have to be awake for it. It's nice if they are, but I get schedules. So, like, even if you, let's say you got to be at work at 6 and they don't wake up till 6, 
then at 5.30, go in there and pray for them. You got to build this muscle because this is all contributing to the house of God being built. Single moms, do the same thing. Pray for your kids. Share the word with your kids. Keep them in the house of God. We've got great, great men that can be presents. They can be examples for your kids in the house of God. This is how we build the house. Every time you're in the word of God, you're building the house. You're making at least, because we're living stones, right? Being built together, right? So in your family, then corporately. Corporately. Uh, dare I say, show up. Is that okay to say anymore? Show up. You have you 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 got to show up for it to be what it is. It's the, you know, I, I love the Haggai scripture because it shows that there's a difference between our house and God's house. Well, you know, the Holy Spirit lives here. Yeah, I know He lives there, but that's not God's house. That's my house. When I come to God's house, it's when we're together. It's not God's house until I see somebody else. Okay, wait, okay, okay, cool. We're God's house. This is it. This is the assembly. There's a reason, guys. I didn't make it up. This is not a Nashville life theology. theology. This is the Bible. It says, forsake not the assembly, as many are in the habit of doing. How, is, how relevant is that? I know a lot of people are missing church. Don't miss church. Show up. And know what it's doing is not just butts in the seat. This is a spiritual house. We're, we're missing living stones when we don't come together like this. It's affecting the spiritual sacrifice that we offer to God. It matters. But again, until you make a personal judgment that it matters, you're just going to do it because your pastor's saying do it. And that's cool, but that's not the same. I don't just want obedience. I want agreement. When there's agreement, you do it even if, someone, if no one's telling you to do it because you get it. There's a conviction. I get, the, I get what this is. This, something happens in this. Don't miss. Come. Make a point. Especially if you're, like, somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to use God's, God's uh, logic. God said, okay, I can see if, you're, if you were living in a shack that my house is looking like this but your house is looking great, which means you're getting some energy somewhere. You're getting some passion somewhere. So the same thing. I can see if you never left your house. I could maybe, I think you might have some other issues, but let's say you never left your house. I could at least see you not being here then. But your kid's dance recital? Your nephew's baseball game? The basketball game? Target? (laughs) There's no germs in Target? (laughs) There's no coronavirus in Kroger? Again, I I could see. There's no, I'm going to that conference, but I'm not feeling good about coming to. Guys, Satan is deceiving us. And we're falling for it because why? Many are doing it. There's a reason why this is don't forsake the assembly even though it's the habit of many because many people can make you feel like it's right. So Paul's saying, guys, a lot of people forsake the assembly and just because a lot of people are doing it, don't fall for that. Many people were forsaking it then. That's why, y'all, there's nothing new under the sun. Y'all can say unprecedented times all day. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new about what's happening in the body of Christ right now. You can lie to yourself and say these times are unprecedented all you want. My Bible says there's nothing new. This is Haggai 2.0. We're living in some bomb houses some awesome, thriving lives, kids just as cute as can be, decked out in the house of God. Now, here's the deal. We're doing a good job. 
I do believe it. Here's the deal. This is a cautionary tale. I don't believe Nashville life is flatlined. But this word is to show you that it's possible and how it happens. It doesn't happen by us turning to the church of Satan. It doesn't happen by us picking up Jack Daniels and getting drunk every day. It doesn't happen by saying, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. It happens by going, hmm, my pet. We start paying attention to the panel houses, and panel houses is representation of everything in your personal endeavors outside the house of God. The panel house is a symbol of your personal stuff. We're not talking literally about your house. The panel houses is stuff that is your personal endeavors, affairs, agenda that are not in and of in sin. Panel houses are not sin. But it becomes sin if the house of God is being neglected because of the paneled house. Food, clothes, house, education, relationships, works, vacation, fitness, hobbies, me time. That's panel house. Some of y'all are like, I don't live in a panel house. I live in an apartment. See, I'm exempt. <laughs> He's not talking about me. I live in a dorm. Paneled houses is your personal stuff outside the context of the house of God. And the Lord is saying, I'm not even coming for those things, but don't let there be 14 years to go by and you haven't contributed hardly anything to the upbuilding of what's going on and these areas are well attended. These areas, well attended. I got a screen there. Um, well, guys, we're not done with Haggai because next week, when they obey God, we already know what happens when they obey God, like as if I'm going to say something negative. Like there's, there's never, there's, the predicate of when they obey God is never negative. Anytime, anything of when they obey God, period, it's something that is forward, it's something that's glorifying God, and it's something that's blessing them. Um, when they obey God, the Bible says that he stirs up their spirit, and there's a zeal. That, that comes upon them. And I think you need to know the order of it. Our Pastor Chris Hodges said, choices come, then feelings follow. Choice first, feelings follow. Sometimes you got to choose it before you feel it. Some of you guys are like, Lord, if you want me to serve the Lord, you need to stir up some zeal in me now. And then that zeal is going to, like, <laughs> propel me to go for it. That was the spirit going, Ugh. That's how I thought, that's another story. Um, but we, we think like that. We think the Lord's going to fill me up with fire and then I'm going to go. But this story shows that they went and then as they began to lay the wood, the spirit stirred their spirits up. And it was like, whoo, we, we're hyped. So we're going to talk about next week. The zeal sometimes precedes the obedience. I mean, uh, comes after the obedience. Um. Let's serve the Lord. Let's serve the Lord. Okay, part of our service to the Lord is, is winning the lost. And I want us to do that today. There might be people here that don't know Jesus. And maybe you've heard of him, but you don't follow him. And maybe you follow him, but it's been 14 years since you've, you know, started serving him. Um, because of being preoccupied with paneled houses. Um, whoever you are, whatever the spectrum is, Jesus wants to have an encounter with you right now. He wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to come to your heart and bring transformation in your heart. He wants to give you a new life, a new sense of purpose. For some of you, a renewed sense of purpose. He wants to give you a revelation of what the house of God is and your significance in the house of God. He wants to give you direction of, of how to uh, live your life in a way where those holes in your bag get plugged up. Uh, he wants to change your life. I mean, I can't tell you how much he wants. If you think your life is blessed now, wait to see what your life is when the holes are plugged up. Some of us are tripping. Oh, man, I got water in my bucket. And they're like, oh, I didn't even know the bucket could get full. I heard stories. I heard tales of fullness of God. I didn't know that it was actually a real thing. 
I heard it in the songs that you can be full to overflow. I didn't know that that was a literal thing. Some of us have never even experienced the overflow yet because we still got these holes in our bag. And we're getting wet, but we're not getting full. And forget about pouring it over to somebody else. For, for, for some of us, that's unheard of. What? I barely got it. How, much, how many times do we say that? I, got, I barely got nothing myself. How can I pour holes in the bucket? So Jesus says that he has the power to rebuke that person, but you got to follow him. That's why he says, come and follow me. So this is, this is about, for, this, is, this altar calls for people who want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow him, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Before I do that, I want to pray for you guys. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that there is, you have enough zeal for all of us um, regarding the house of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, for Nashville Life to just get a, a renewed revelation of, of, of what the house of God is and our role even in this current time. Lord, I believe there's so much that you want to reveal to us. People in this room, you want to reveal specific um, instructions and, and uh, visions regarding your plans for the house of God. Um, Lord, on behalf of everybody here, we repent, Lord, for um, our priorities um, in regards to everything else we got going on and then, then the, the house of God. Um, Lord, we, we didn't do it on purpose. Most of us didn't do it on purpose. Life just, the phrase they say, life happens. And uh, we don't want to be, we don't want our lives to be in control of us. Lord, you called us to be in control of our lives. And while there's a lot of things that happen, Lord, we're the people who, who determine what comes first. Lord, you've given us the authority to decide what comes first. You've given us the uh, authority to decide what comes second. You've given us the authority to decide what comes third and then fourth. You've given us the authority to prioritize our lives. Lord, and you, you told us that the kingdom should be prioritized first. Lord, so as your disciples, as your followers, we commit to consider our ways like Haggai told Israel and assess the priorities and ask ourselves if the house of God, where it is in, in relation to everywhere else. Lord, I pray that we would then take the next step and do what it takes to rearrange priorities to where our service to you and the building of your house can stay active and stay stay high in our lives. Um, Jesus, we need your wisdom to do this because if we could do it on our own, we would have done it already. Lord, so Jesus, we pray for you to um, send your spirit in a way that leads us on how to, how to prioritize our lives to where we don't, we're not like the 50,000, Lord, that Put your house on the back burner for other things. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to invite anyone here who wants to receive Jesus to pray with me. So can we all stand? Can we all stand? And I would like for us to uh, repeat this prayer after me. Because if you pray this prayer in faith, Jesus will come into your life. And the, the cool thing about this is, guys, you will become a part of the house. It's, it's God's will that his house gets bigger. And it gets bigger by, with people. That's how it gets bigger. So for some of you guys, this is your day to join the house of God. doesn't mean that you're specifically a member of Nashville Life. But it means you're joining the house of God. And... If it's not Nashville life, it needs to be somewhere. It needs to be fast. You need to belong to a local church, a local house with spiritual authority, with, with lateral support and camaraderie 
and community. You need this. It's the only way. So repeat this prayer after me, and Jesus is going to change your life. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised, on the de- raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen.